In each of our lives, there are places where we feel completely stuck. Sometimes it's us who continues to drive that nail deeper. Sometimes it's situations outside of our control. Maybe you've tried to pull the nail out for years, and try as you might, it just seems impossible. But what if there was a way to experience lasting freedom and hope? What if there was a way to break free? Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you in church. I want to welcome everybody that's in the room. Those of you that are joining us at home as well, I want to welcome a new friend. I'm going to call him Balat, and he will be watching this at some point down the road from Nepal. And God is doing some incredible things in his life and in the country of Nepal. And I don't know if you know this or not, but you have family in Nepal. And they watch every single week. And we're so thrilled. And so if you'd like to say good morning or hello or put your hands together for our friends in Nepal, that would be awesome. Pretty cool. We've been working through a series called Break Free. And as we have been walking this uh, road together, I'd like to bring you up to speed. If you missed any of the weeks, I'm going to give you just a quick overview. We've been talking about habitual or besetting sins, those sins that trip us up over and over and over again. And I put in your outline these words, to conquer a besetting sin, I must fearlessly identify it. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 tells us to throw off everything that hinders us, but specifically the sin that so easily entangles us, which means we want to be free from all sin all the time, but there are certain sins that seem to perpetually drag us down, and we have got to engage them. We can't be cowards, we can't walk away, we've got to engage them in a battle for our souls. And the way we do that is by placing Jesus over top of that, Hebrews chapter 12 says we fix our eyes on Jesus, which means we don't try to fight the battle alone. We bring him into the battle because the battle belongs to the Lord and the victory belongs to him. And then I have to acknowledge how vulnerable I am to it, whatever it happens to be. First Corinthians chapter 10 says that we are allowed to recognize our vulnerability to this besetting sin. But just because we're vulnerable doesn't mean we're a victim. Just because we may struggle, it doesn't mean that we're helpless. And we've got to stand firm and bear witness to the fact that God is putting strength in our soul so that we can stand up underneath of the pressure. And then comes this tough one that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. We've got to recognize how my besetting sin actually affects the lives of people around me and affects the sin of others, or sex, uh, how my sin affects other people. My sin is my own, but the reality is it touches other lives. And then as Lem spoke to us about last week, I've got to understand the sin patterns that draw me in. We're going to talk about that in James chapter 1. And then I have to choose every day to conquer that. And the way we go about doing that is through the renewing of our mind and the way we resist temptation. Today we're going to focus in on numbers 5 and 6 because they're so unbelievably important. So last week, Lem walked us through the sin cycle that we all deal with, and then he brought us to a place where we fixed our eyes on Jesus so that we could win a battle over our own sin patterns. This week, we're going to listen to the wisdom of James, the brother of Jesus, who's got a lot to say about sin cycles and temptation. Ready? Here we go. James chapter 1. Blessed is the man or woman who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those 
who love him. We've got to start there in this moment. There's a blessing from God for those who are willing to fight this kind of battle. And this is not work for cowards. This is for people who are willing to deal with their own issues. There's a blessing from God and there's a reward from God for those who are willing to dig into the deep stuff and work on those deep issues that most people just want to avoid. This is a battle worth fighting. It's a battle worth winning. And James goes on and says this, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Some of you are like, well, just hold on one second there, Grant. What about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness? That's God being tempted, right? Great question. And I will answer that question by saying this. Jesus was tempted when Jesus was in the flesh. And scripture says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. Here's what's amazing. Every time Jesus was tempted by the enemy, he responded with scripture. The word of God is what came back out of him. But When God is not in the flesh, he can't be tempted because God is pure and good and right and transcendent, which means temptation is not a part of God's character. That's why James is saying, don't say that God's tempting you. I'll come back to this in just a minute. It says, God will not tempt, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Let's go back to the nor does he tempt anyone section because this is the one where people get it wrong all the time. Here's the truth. God does not tempt people to do wrong. Ever. God will never tempt you to do the wrong thing. I've sat in my office and talked to people who say something like this. Pastor, I just want to be honest with you. I'm having an affair. I was married... But And then we started having some troubles and I needed someone to talk to. So God brought someone else into my life. And he led us together. And now I'm in love with them and I'm getting divorced. And I think God's okay with it. I've heard that in my office. Here's my response. Nope. Nope. God doesn't work that way. God doesn't tempt people to do something that's completely contrary to his word. I don't care how you've made it look in your brain or how you've justified it. God just doesn't operate that way. And all God's people said, there you go. I'm helping a guy who's struggling with pornography. And it was so courageous of him to come to my office. But this is what he said. He goes, why did God do this to me? He made women so beautiful and then he gave me a set of eyes. Why did God put these desires in me if he knew it was going to ruin my life? Okay, let's just slow that one down for a second. Did God give us a natural desire that when embraced in a covenant marriage can be a beautiful thing? Absolutely. Should those desires be kept within a covenantal marriage? Absolutely. Did God desire for all of us to uh, to relate with one another with mutual respect and honor? Yes. So this is what that means. Back to the guy in my office. God's not the author of that website you're going to. God did not produce a video that exploits people and sells or sold for profit. God didn't make you take a second look. God didn't produce that image. God did not click your mouse. Quite the contrary. With every opportunity to make a bad decision, God gives us the opportunity to make a right and godly decision. So here's what James is saying. 
you don't get to say, if God didn't want me to be greedy, why did he put all this really cool stuff in the world? We don't get to say, if God didn't want me to be envious, why did he give my neighbor that gorgeous new truck? We don't get to say, if God didn't want me to be angry, why did he put so many idiots on the road and in the world? <laughs> I got an amen from the second row. Thanks, Deej. We don't get to say, if God wanted me to be pure, why did he surround me with so much temptation? He didn't surround you with temptation. That came from somebody else. We all live with temptation. Did you know there are 11 fast food eating establishments between my place of work and my house? 11 of them. And they all have a $6 value meal. And I like fat and salt and sugar. Thank you, Jesus. But that doesn't mean I'm supposed to turn into every single drive through We all face it. So if God's not doing the tempting, then who is? Some of you are just like, Satan. Satan. Here's the famous line, right? The devil made me do it. And it's true. The devil lies and lays traps. But there's a whole lot more to it. And this is where we have to own our own stuff. The devil may open the door, but we've got to own it when we walk through it. James says, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desires. Whose evil desires? Ours. We were created in the image of God pure and holy that goes all the way back to the beginning of Genesis but then sin showed up Adam's, Eve's and ours and out of that sinful desire that desires to have our own way with that comes this ugly thing called temptation the temptation to believe that life is all about us and not God the temptation to believe that we've got something figured out that God never has so here's the truth temptation starts with our own evil desires and I want you to notice the progression that James lays out I put it in your program under the heading the descending cycle of sin it starts with our own evil personal desires so we see something that's forbidden, which makes it all the more attractive, and we want it. So we think about it, we fantasize about it, we fixate on it. It could be a substance, a person, a sinful attitude, a plan for revenge. And we wrap our head around it, and we begin to desire something that's not ours, an illicit relationship, a status, money, and we open ourselves up to the thoughts, oh man, if that was mine, my life would just be so, so good. And that evil desire takes root, and what happens? We're dragged away. That's what James says. Pretty soon we're not holding on to it anymore. It's holding on to us, and then we're enticed. That's a strong word. The Greek word there means lured. We're lured in a direction we know we shouldn't go, and it begins to pull our attention away and take our focus off of Jesus. Do you remember to the first couple of weeks of this series, we told the heartbreaking story of Abraham. His besetting sin was deceit. He lied. He lied repeatedly because he was more enticed by his own plan than the promises of God. 
So he stopped fixing his eyes on God and the promises of God, and he chose a habitual pattern of deceit, and it cost him, and it cost his wife, and it cost his family. You know, there's a tiny little detail that often gets missed in Abraham's story. In both of the biblical situations where Abraham lied, and I promise you, we only see a couple of times in Scripture, but I promise you, if Abraham was lying in those two situations, he was lying all the time. In both situations where he lied, it was preceded by a decision. And the decision was to move closer to an enemy. Here's the question. If you know you're vulnerable to a particular sin, why in the world would you ever move closer to it? And make yourself more vulnerable to it. Wisdom says you should actually put distance between you and your habitual sin. So, yes. Let me meddle in your life. <laughs> that means you need to stay out of the bar if that's the weak point. You need to put accountability software on your computer if that's your weak point. You need to keep your eyes on the stuff God gave you and choose a heart of gratitude if that's your weak point. Because if you don't, this is the pattern. Evil desire, dragged away, enticed, and before we know it, we're living in sin. And the Bible says that sin always leads to a party, right? Sin leads to death. So I'm watching TV the other day. I see a great picture of how this progression works. I turn on the TV, and there's a bass fishing show on. I don't know why people are so fascinated with bass fishing, but this was a full channel, full show devoted to bass fishing. And I don't know why, but it, it hooked me, no pun intended, in about three seconds. Because... <laughs> Any TV show that has a host named Buford that's fishing from a dock while he's wearing a NASCAR jacket and shorts that kind of look like underwear. I'm just saying, all right, so you get the visual. He's smoking a cigar, drinking a beer, eating a corn dog, and somehow figured out how to turn the word fish into three separate syllables. Fish. I have no idea how you pull that off, but that's what I was captured by. And Buford has one of these submerged cameras, and I saw James chapter 1 in action. He tosses his lure in, and there's a bass fish in the reeds just doing his bass fish thing. Buford baits the lure, throws it in the water, and the fish all of a sudden sees this lure go by. And he's like, what was that? What was that? I've never seen anything like that in these here parts. And it was shiny, and it smelled good, and then it comes by again. And the fish is like, whoa, whoa. He comes in for a closer look. He swims around it, then he swims away. He comes back, he bumps it with his nose. He comes back into the grass. He moves back out again. He touches it again, and finally, he just can't help himself. He bites it, he takes it, and he takes off swimming. Woohoo! This is great! I finally got it! It's mine! And all of a sudden, he's been baited, lured, hooked, filleted, and fried. And this, my friends, is the result. And you're looking at that going, oh, that, mm, lunch. Not if you're the fish. Not if you're the fish. Anybody else here been hooked, filleted, and fried by a sin 
that you didn't think was going to start out that way? Four of you are honest enough to raise your hands. God bless you. Isn't that the way it always starts out? We've moved from preaching to meddling, so let's just go all the way. Granted, it just started out with, with drinks with my friends. But I didn't know how to stop. It was just curiosity on my computer. It was just a moment. The, the money was there, and then suddenly it was in my pocket. It was one thought that I just played over and over and over in my mind for a really, really long time. It was just an attitude that I let settle into my heart. I know it wasn't supposed to be there, and I know it wasn't right, but, but it took root because I just left it there for so long. It was there, and the enemy of my soul threw in some bait, and I took it, and I got hooked. We all face temptation. None of us is immune. Even for people who stand on a platform and preach about it, I face temptation all the time. Can I tell you one of the most difficult ones? I actually care about what you think. I'm a people pleaser. And every week I face the temptation to make this easier for everybody. I mean, can't we just do a series on three ways to smile more often? I'm tempted at times to bypass the hard stuff of Scripture and make it palatable. I can battle pride, anger, and temptation like all of the rest of you and put it under this, this really, really easy category. I work for Jesus. But it all leads to exactly the same spot. Death. Let me show you a, a Scripture that lays out a man who lives this sin cycle people of Israel have been ordered by God to remove a certain evil and pagan nation from the face of the earth. I know some of you are uncomfortable with that, but that's what God said he wanted to do. It wasn't an arbitrary and capricious decision. No, these people were doing evil in the sight of God, and God made the decision to remove them. God had just delivered the evil city of Jericho into the hands of the Israelites, but with some special instructions attached. When you overtake the city, don't take anything. Leave it all behind. Destroy it. Leave it there. And that's exactly what happens. Except one guy decides he knows better than God. And because one guy doesn't follow the instructions, a whole nation suffers the consequences. There it is again. My besetting sin affects other people, whether I want to admit it or not. Pretty soon the leadership figures out there's sin in the camp. Somebody broke the guidelines and they track it down to a guy named Achan. Joshua chapter 7. I'll let scripture speak for itself. And then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me, what have you done? Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, it's true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They're hidden in the ground inside of my tent with the silver underneath. Isn't it amazing that all sin all the time has a level of secrecy attached to it? Can I tell you something? God has an answer for that. You drag it out into the light. But grant that everybody will know exactly. And when God heals it and delivers you, he'll get the glory, not you, and then everyone else will be telling a different story. 
So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. Do you see that? Bringing it out into the light. Do you see the progression of Achan's descending cycle of sin? It was as simple as this. I saw, I coveted, I took, and I hid. And that's what happens to all of us if we choose that direction. I saw it, I wanted it, so I took it, and now I'm hiding. I saw, I coveted, I took, and I hid. And the heartbreaking result is Achan actually paid for this with his life and all of his family with it. Why? Because all unrepentant sin leads to what? It leads to death. That's why we're doing this work. So it doesn't kill us. Okay, all this talk about the descending cycle of sin, it's kind of like bad news. Anybody need some good news? Like, Grant, can we turn a corner just a little here? (laughs) Okay. We all face temptation. But when we face temptation, there is a promise. God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you tempt, be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Let me say that again. But when you are tempted, that means every single one of us is going to face it at some point in the next 24 hours. There's going to be a temptation. But when you are tempted, God will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. What has God promised you? He's promised you faithful strength, a way out, and victory. If you choose to walk his way. This is how it works, okay? You're being tempted, right? You feel that hunger inside of you to come back one more time to a sin that you hate, to a coping mechanism that leaves you covered in shame, to a pattern that you know is going to end in death and destruction for you and the people that you love. And so you know it's coming, it's facing you, and in that moment, what do you do? You pause. You're like, that's where it starts? Yes, you pause. You speak Jesus into that moment. You call on the name of Jesus and you ask him not to step away from you so you can do whatever you want to. No, you invite him into that moment with you. You acknowledge his strength and his presence and then you grab him by the hand and walk away together. The Bible uses the word flee. And it's not a cowardly response. It's a response of strength. I know that that thing is going to lead me to death, so I'm walking the other way in the direction of Jesus, the cross, and life. That's what I'm choosing. It's courageous. You change direction. You walk in the opposite direction with purpose. And while you're walking, 
while you're walking, while you're leaving the establishment that you know you never should have walked into in the first place, while you're exiting the conversation that you know is not glorifying to God, while you are turning off your computer, while you're calling someone that you love and trust to transparently share with them, I'm having a weak moment and I need you to stay on the line with me until there's some distance between me and this besetting pattern of sin. In that moment, you're not only recognizing the way out, you're taking it. Do we get that? We're walking away, but we're not walking away alone. We're walking with the God of holiness, the God of purity, who's celebrating this simple fact. You didn't try to handle this on your own. You welcomed me into it. And I gave you the strength to walk in the opposite direction. Do you remember the fish? Remember the bass? I want you to watch something because this is a beautiful picture of how simple the path to victory is. Now, I know it takes incredible courage, but this is where it starts, okay? Let's take a look at this. There he is. He's just hanging out on his own. It's all good. And I want you to watch right behind him because in just a couple of seconds, a lure is going to drop. Oh, there it is. Now it's going to come popping in front of him. And he looks at it. Oh, this is good. Got it? Nope. Let's do it again in slow motion because it's just so worth. There it is. Pop, pop. Oh, I want it so bad. I'm going to bite. Nope. That fish is smart. He's been here before. I know it's not real food. It's fake. I know the shame that comes after I bite. I understand that that is not going to sustain me. Rubber is not on a bass's diet. So what does he do? Nope. That was fun. I'll do it again. No. I'm not interested. Why would I exchange the joy of a victorious moment for a lure that I know is going to crush my spirit? I've seen what this does to myself and to my friends. I know the outcome and God has given me wisdom and I knew a lure when I see one so I am not going to fall for it today. Not today. Not today. James is calling us. Don't take the bait. Don't be deceived. Don't fall for it. Don't take the deal. Don't even get on the cycle of sin. Don't be carried away by your own evil desire. He wants us to consider one significant question. Where do you want to end up? We all know this from experience. Besetting sin always takes us to a place of shame and failure. Always. James is pleading with us to look ahead to know that the descending cycle of sin always ends in death and shame. But the ascending cycle of choosing Jesus, welcoming Jesus, and walking with Jesus, that's where victory is. So why would we walk in the opposite direction? Maybe you'll need a little more good news to try and balance some stuff off here. So this past week, my friend B. Freeman sent me this verse. Little tiny email showed up, I think, on Sunday afternoon. 
Here's what I'll tell you. If you send me really, really good stuff, I reserve the right to quote you in church because it's inspiring. B sent this to me, and I, I've been thinking about it all week long. And if you don't get anything else today besides bass fish and say no, <laughs> I hope you'll take this with you. Isaiah 59, 19 is an amazing verse of Scripture. In the original Hebrew, there's no punctuation in it. Nothing. But the English translators just stuck in a little tiny comma. In my humble opinion, they put it in the wrong spot. This is the way you're going to see it in most Bibles. It says this. When the enemy comes in like a flood, pause, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against them. Now, knowing there's no punctuation in the original, we're going to move the pause and see what happens. When the enemy comes in, pause. Like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against them. Do you see how the power shifts in that verse? It's not the enemy that has the power of the flood. No, he shows up with temptation, and then the floodwaters of God show up behind us. And they make a statement. This is my child. These floodwaters are wrapped around them. This is the strength. I'm bringing a banner. This is not in my script, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm going to steal it from an Instagram post that I saw. One of my favorite movies is The Lion King. I love it, right? Little Simba is being surrounded by all of these hyenas. And they're circling. And they look like they're going to take him up. And what does he do? He goes, meow. And they laugh at him really that's the best you got and he does it again and then something happens he opens his mouth the third time and instead of this tiny little this roar erupts from behind him and the hyenas freak out and they run why because his dad showed up his father was right behind him. That's where the strength and the power of the roar came from. And it transformed the entire thing. The next time you're faced with temptation, you may feel like all you've got is a... But I'm going to tell you something. The Lion of Judah is standing behind you. And when he says temptation needs to go, it needs to go. And all you need to do is follow him. You follow him safely home. You tuck in right up underneath me. And he will lead you to victory every single time. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. So as we come to a close today, I have literally broken a sweat this morning. This is good. One question you need to ask yourself as you're writing in your journal. How will I choose to handle inevitable temptation? Because it's coming. Well, no, it's common. That's what God just still told us. But how am I going to choose to handle inevitable temptation? Who am I going to have on speed dial to call and say, I'm having a really, really weak moment. And I need you to stay on the line with me until I get out of here. Please don't hang up the phone. I'm walking right now. I'm getting in my car. 
and driving away because I'm sick of the shame. That takes courage. How will I choose to handle inevitable temptation? One truth, temptation's common, but God always gives us a way out. Always. The one step is to actually make a plan before temptation is either encountered because once it's been encountered, it's been revealed and we have to be ready. One step that we can take that is so biblical we often overlook it is to actually be humble enough to ask and to receive prayer knowing the temptation's coming. You know what keeps us from actually receiving prayer? Pride. And I'll tell you what, if I see a besetting sin in our culture today, it's pride. I can do this on my own. No, you can't. No, 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 I can do this on my own. Really? How's it been working for you so far? So it's 10.25. For the people that are home, I'd love to talk to you for a second. We're going to do something here in the worship center, but, but you get to participate fully and completely. Right now, you can go to prayer.ctk.church and fill in a prayer request and just simply say, I know I'm going to face temptation this week. Would you please pray for me? You can give us as many details or as few details as you want to. What I promise you is that our prayer team will take your prayer request and we will pray for you this coming week. For the people that are in the room, I'd like to give you an opportunity. So in, in just a moment, um, we're going to play some music just so it's quiet and reverent here in the room. Some of you need to just spend a little bit of extra time today and have a conversation with Jesus. You need to sit in your seat, not get up and leave right away. Spend a little time in your journal and say, okay, God, what am I going to do when I face temptation, temptation this week? How am I going to cling to your promises? Others of you need to actually summon the courage to get up out of your chair and instead of walking that way, walk this way. And come and stand with one of our after-service prayer team people. And we don't need a lot of details. Jesus has all the details, but we would love to pray for you and with you. That is a courageous act to say, I don't want to do this alone anymore. Every week we bring people up here to the front and prayer happens, but there are moments when we just need to be a little bit more bold and say, I have been battling and it's not been going very well. Would you pray for me? We would love to do that. God in his word has promised a victory and we need to come with expectancy knowing that we can win when we stick with Jesus. So I'm going to ask uh, the members of the after service prayer team and pastors if they would start making their way this direction just come and stand up here across the front. I want you to be able to identify them so you go, okay, there's a person, there's a person. I'm going to hop right down here and we're going to join some folks at the beginning. But I'd like to encourage all of you to take just a minute or two. Just a minute or two. And we're going to pray together. Then I'm going to release you to do whatever it is that God tells you to do. If it's come forward for prayer, great. If it's go on with your day, good. Go in victory. If it's to sit and reflect and not hurry for once, I promise that God will meet you because he who has called us is faithful. 
So would you pray with me right now? God, this temptation stuff is daunting. It's daunting. Because I know for many of us, we've, we've tried many times in our own strength and we just weren't victorious. So God, this week, as we kick off our week in this moment, would you help us to remember the battle's not ours. Temptation's coming, but God will always give us a way out. Lord, give us the courage to walk with you through the door on the way out. We love you. We trust you. We ask for your humility. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you need prayer, you're coming this way. If you need a moment, you can stay exactly where you are. If you just need to slip out, get it. I understand that's good too. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Next week, baptisms. And one more week on breaking free. God bless you. Be dismissed.